Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Stacey Poole. She's the Chief Marketing Officer at Noodles & Company. She's been there since January of 2020. And prior to joining Noodles, Stacey held a variety of leadership roles at Vail Resorts, including Senior Vice President of Season Pass Marketing, Chief of Staff to the CEO, Vice President of Digital Experience. She's also had stops in her career at Nike and in consulting. And on the show today, we talk about her path, how she ended up at the CMO job at Noodles & Co., what she was trying to tackle in the first 100 days and how that plan changed quite a bit. <laughs> You'll hear a lot more about that. We dive into digital efforts, data, and people all in this conversation with Stacy Poole. I hope you enjoy it. Stacy, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here, Alan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, I love talking about food. And so <laughs> we're going to have a fun conversation in general. But um, before we get even there, another thing I like to talk about is travel. And I hear you are a world traveler with a 13 and 16 year old in tow. Tell me more about that. Yeah, we've traveled with them since they were babies. Uh, we've always, we just have always loved to travel um, and experience different things. 
We recently took them to Ireland in August. That was quite the adventure. What was the adventure about it is them missing school. So we took them out of the first week of school, which their teachers loved. They thoroughly loved it, um, but their teachers weren't too happy. And then we're heading to Italy. Uh, We're actually going to fly into Munich and then do Italy at the end of the year. So, you know, my son is at this interesting age. He's a 16-year-old where he he still kind of wants to hang with us and he wants to get the luxury of traveling with us. Um, so I'm kind of taking advantage of it right now that they enjoy that and they and they enjoy being with us for that longer period of time. Yeah, no, it, it, we I have a 15 year old, just turned 15 year old daughter, and same thing. Like we've traveled with her quite a bit. I have to ask, where are you guys going in Italy? Do you ha- do you know yet? Yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna fly into Munich for four days, and then we're heading down to Florence for four days, and just kind of that that being our hub that we can then do some different um, trips to on a daily basis. And then we'll land in Rome, which I, Rome is one of my favorite cities. So I cannot wait to share that with my kids. Yeah, no, Rome is awesome. I have, I have a special place in my heart though for Florence because that's where I engaged to my now wife. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. And her, I didn't realize, but like, I mean, I knew her family history was from that region, but I did not know. And I found out later from her dad, who was super impressed by my skills at the time, but uh, super impressed that her great grandmother used to walk across the Ponte Vecchio to go to work. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. where I, that's where I proposed. So yeah. Oh it's, my gosh. It's a, a special place. We've gone yeah. back a few times. You know, we're going to be there over New Year's Eve. And so the fireworks show over the Ponte Vecchio is something that we kind of centered everything around with this trip. So yeah, it's it's a good connection between you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you'll remember me when you're walking That's across. Right. Yeah. That's right. Let's talk business. Let's talk even more, even more great things, food and, and things like that. So I'd love to get what your path, like where did you start? And how'd you end up as chief marketing officer at Noodles Income? Yeah, you know, I, I've had a very interesting path um, and I, I really love my path. And uh, I share that with my team a lot because I've experienced a lot of different things. I went to university at the University of Arizona, but during that time there, I just kind of tried a bunch of different classes. And one that I fell in love with was one around coding, actually. I loved coding and user experience. And so I took a Jacob Nielsen class who's kind of the guru, or at least back then was the guru in user experience, and just said, oh my gosh, like this is what I want to do with the rest of my career. And that's crazy to say that because I get to do that to some extent in a CMO role, but there's a lot more that I've learned along the way. But what happened coming out of college is I thought, you know, I'm going to start in the consulting world because I wanted to experience different industries and different skills. I just wanted to learn different things. And so I went and I joined Accenture, Anderson Consulting at the time. And I immediately got you know on an amazing client. I was with um, Sprint at the time and then ended up doing database development, which is crazy to even think. But what that really sparked was this kind of curiosity around how things are built, how things are work, how things are work. And I just have this desire to just learn all the time. And so that was kind of like the first time that I realized, oh, wow, I'm just curious. I love learning. I love trying new things. And then what ended up happening from there is I shifted over to client side and moved over into the digital space because I was like, well, 
I'm kind of over doing database work. Let me switch over to digital. It was really the point at which it was booming. And from then on out, I lived in the digital space. And that's really what I do to this day. Even though as a CMO, you're doing so much more. So much of my role is how are people engaging digitally? What's the experience that you want to give them digitally? And then how do you complement it on the physical side too? But my path, I went to Nike for a little period of time and worked on Nike ID. I got to build that business up from the start with some really smart people. Learned a lot about brand marketing at that point as well. Went over to Vail Resorts, just honed my skills even more. And within Vail Resorts, what they're so amazing with is that they really do focus on lateral movement and lateral development. So I moved from different parts of the business ended up um, running the season pass team. But even in my synth there, I got to be the chief of staff for the CEO there, which gave me exposure to investor relations, acquisitions, which was just amazing. And that really, at that given time, really solidified my desire to be in a more prominent role to help drive businesses, drive team and growth. And so, yeah, I've done a lot of lateral movements and I've been CMO here at Noodles and Company now for three years in the restaurant space. So a new industry, but definitely loving it and enjoying everything that I'm learning right now. You've had some amazing experiences, not only across industries and functions, but also, I mean, that last position you were talking about with the chief of staff to the CEO, seeing your ultimately your boss's view of the job <laughs> through working with with that function right the, the that position i guess the ceo how have those like lateral moves and and like experiences do you think helped you in your current executive role oh i have a lot of answers to that but i'm going to really hone it in on it on two i think the first one i would say is i'm a very agile leader and i've learned that through taking these lateral moves. Because when you take lateral moves, you're broadening your skills around different, you know, different areas, you know, whether that's in IT or whether that's in marketing or finance. And I was blessed to be able to really expose myself to a lot of different, like you said, industries, but even a lot of different functions. I started my career in IT coming out of college and then gradually worked my way over to the business. And so it's been super interesting about just how I've had to become a more agile leader through that process. Because normally, like if you were just in marketing, it's just going to be where you're learning maybe one thing and exposing yourself to just marketing things. But as I then transitioned over to the CEO support role, what it ended up doing was opening my eyes to a bigger business sense. And that's what I, I didn't expect to be so passionate about, where I can be an agile leader, but learning the financial side, learning the... I even learned more in marketing side, learning how you... He was just a master at understanding and engaging with investors. And just it opened my eyes to how critical the CEO role is when it comes to engaging with investors and really the credibility around the company. So... Yeah, it's it's both the agility as a leader, which I think is critical, but also this openness and understanding that you just got to be curious and learn and experience so many different things so that you can expand your skill and understanding of business in totality. I really like that a lot. And it's funny that you mentioned like being a very agile leader. I don't know if it's the moment in time that we're in or maybe what is being required of executives today, but 
I can't tell you, like I've, I've had a conversation recently with somebody in, in the services industry. I've heard, had a conversation with another CMO in the financial services industry and then a executive recruiter, uh, a notable one that places a lot of um, CMOs and, and those types of roles. And almost every single one has hit on either this notion of being agility as a leader, being able to work across functions. And then the, the executive recruiter in particular, he said, like, we have a drought coming of people that are ready and prepared to take on CMO roles because of a lack of cross-functional experience. And so like I, I just underlining it and, and putting exclamations next to your, your point that like, I think that if executive recruiters are looking for it, CEOs are looking for it. And then if CEOs are looking for it, CMOs need to step up and, you know, if you're preparing yourself for the, be the CMO or otherwise getting that cross-functional experience is going to be critical. Yeah. I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And I think that my agility or my desire for change is probably my biggest strength and potentially my biggest weakness because I just crave driving change, driving change. But also I have to be very careful and conscious about how fast I do it too, because I I'm very action oriented. And so, and I think that the benefit of getting exposed to all of these different functions is that I can change really easily, but I have to be mindful of the impact that that has on, you know, the people and the business at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, you're new to the restaurant industry. What have you learned about that industry? The restaurant industry is super fun. I just, I had, I mean, food is just like you said at the beginning, food is just fun, right? So I think... What was unexpected for me was just how much I would actually love selling food. Because I come from a brand, of course, selling shoes. And then I went over to sell travel and season passes. And food has been probably my most favorite. And the reason for it is because from a marketer's perspective, you never stop fighting for that guest. You never stop fighting for the mind share. And that was, I knew that that was the case, but literally on a daily basis, people are making decisions about where they want to eat that evening or even for lunch, you know, cause that's starting to pick back up again and knowing when and how to target those communications, what you want to put in front of them on a daily basis is just really, really fun. So that, that to me has been a really interesting kind of interesting and eye opening experience that I didn't expect. I would also say that restaurants that I love the loyalty 
and the passion and this like relentless commitment to service. And Vail Resorts definitely has that in the winter, for sure, with what they do on the mountains. But man, the passion of a, of a restaurant employee, especially like our general managers, is so inspiring. And so I would say that that also was really interesting or eye-opening to me of just, they live and breathe their restaurant. They are so unbelievably proud of it, whether it is a small company or a big company. And to me, that inspires me every single day. Um, and I just didn't expect that too. Of they just genuinely believe their restaurant is their life and their business and their family. So that's that's really really cool to see. And then the last thing I would say is around technology. Is that there's just a massive opportunity on the restaurant side. It's all restaurants are very operationally minded. But one thing that I think Domino's did really well, and I actually think Wingstop is doing it great too, is they're leading with technology to solve problems. And it's still about the service and they want to create great food, but it's very much about how can we leverage technology to make that experience better. So I think there's a massive opportunity for everybody to continue to think about the evolution of technology within their restaurant business. Yeah, all makes perfect sense. Let's talk a little bit about Noodles & Co. And it's what's the business like? Like give me and listeners like, you know, geographic locations, etc. Like how do you think about the totality of the business right now? Yeah, Noodles & Company is a Boulder-based business. We've been around for I think we're hitting our 28 years this year. We have about 450 locations across the United States, primarily focused in the Midwest, but we do have locations in Florida, East Coast as well as the West Coast, but we our bigger markets are Colorado, Minnesota, Illinois, Wisconsin. We sell very flavorful noodles dishes. And the reason I say flavorful is that we really pride ourselves on making sure that we're bringing different global flavors into our sauces and then pairing them with the noodle that we believe pairs best with that sauce. And we range, we have about 13 different noodles, whether it's an elbow noodle that's on our amazing mac and cheese or where you have a healthier noodle like our new linguine that is higher pr protein, lower net carbs. So we really try to make sure that our menu can meet the needs of any lifestyle. And we have a very wide variety of options to meet the needs of any lifestyle. Noodles and Company is really targeted to that millennial family. We over-index on families. So it's a very kid-friendly restaurant. And then we, we've been investing a ton, like I mentioned, in healthier options because we know that people want to have flavorful, craveable food, but they also, also are health conscious. So we make sure that we've got the zoodle on the menu or the linguine that they can pair with a very flavorful sauce and still get that craving that they've been desiring. Awesome. Well, I know the concept. I've, I've, I've visited, not a ton, but I have visited Noodles & Co. a couple of times and it was highly kid-friendly because it was a, a number of years ago when I went um, and we had a little, my 15-year-old was was much smaller at that point in time and then we moved, I think, out of your radius. But I know you've also been working on the brand and you've launched a new brand positioning and I wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about that and, and what was the genesis of it, if you will? Yeah, when I first got hired at Noodles & Company, I definitely got hired more for my digital experience. I grew up in marketing on more of the data-driven side because Vail Resorts is very data-driven. And so coming over here, I knew that they were still struggling with just understanding the brand, making sure that people knew about the brand, but also an explanation of why the brand is special in comparison to all these other fast casual concepts. So... 
we started the process before. It was actually in process when I first started and I was going to try to wrap it up and then COVID hit. And thank goodness that COVID hit. And I, it's the only time you'll ever hear anybody say that. But what that did is we put that on hold. But in the process of putting it on hold, we also started to do more extensive research on how people think of the brand. And it gave me an opportunity to really understand how guests think of the brand. And what we found through that process was there was one common statement that we heard from multiple focus groups. And that statement was, it is just so surprising how good noodles is. And then when you unpack that a little bit more, the way that the guests described it was, their food is so good. You don't expect that. The value's good. The service is good. And it's all of a sudden like, well, wow, when people say you don't expect it and it's so good, we thought, how do we take advantage of this consistent statement that is being propped forward? And that's where the brand positioning came to life. It came to life through that those focus groups. It came to life through our employees' behaviors. And what that translated into were two words, and that's uncommon goodness. And that uncommon goodness is unexpected. They're so good. And so we launched that in May of 2022 and have seen great momentum around it, both internally and externally. People are really excited about the positioning. It's getting a lot of credit for being so accurate. And if you have been to Noodles & Company like you have, even if it was 10 years ago, you know our food is really, really good and the people are good. Our value system is good. And we want to continue to keep focusing on that. And Uncommon Goodness, that positioning just gives us a guardrail, right? To continue to make decisions around what is good and what's right for our guests and our employees. So it's, I'm very, very proud of what we have launched. And there's just so much more to come off of those two words. Yeah, I love the positioning. And it, it does, it is great when the positioning is a mirror, if you will, of what consumers already think of you. I think it makes it so much more successful because when they see it, they resonate with it. They're like, yeah, of course, that's it. You've nailed it, you know? And it kind of like, it almost reinforces their own conclusions about the brand. And that, you know, as you think about where a brand lives, it really lives in their heads, not in our, our briefs. <laughs> it kind of, it, it just is self-reinforcing in many ways. But um, you've been at as CMO for three years, if I got that right, but every new leader comes in and they obviously have a 90, 100 day plan when they take on a new role. You've gone through a brand repositioning or refresh. If you can remember back to when you took over, I'm curious, like, what were you setting out to accomplish when you came in? Alan, you're not going to believe this, but I was just thinking about the 100 day mark and the 100 day mark was literally the start of the pandemic. So if I go back and write that, I would have never written that a pandemic would start on my 100th day. So what I would... I, I'm a huge fan of 100-day action plans. I love that book. I read it. I prepared. I absolutely put a 100-day action plan together. And honestly, even though the pandemic happened, we have maybe been a little bit slower on what I wanted to accomplish. And not so much in that 100 days, but one of the things that I wanted to accomplish in that 100 days was delivering a strategic plan to our board, which I delivered two weeks before the pandemic started. But one thing that hasn't stopped was what was part of that strategic plan. And for, for us, it was, how are we going to continue to grow the brand, grow awareness, make sure that we're viewed differently, right? And that's just what I talked about with Uncommon Goodness. 
The second piece we talked about was advancing our digital agenda, which little did I know that that digital agenda would be advanced within a month, (laughs) you know, and we would have to have kind of rethink our whole digital experience, getting delivery launched as fast as we did, curbside as fast as we did. So Luckily, there was a start before I arrived, but there was a lot of work that had to be done in a very short period of time. But the beauty of digital now is that we're just building on what we've created. So we're starting to do some redesign work digitally. We're bringing digital signs into the restaurants, which we had talked about three years ago. And then the last thing that I'm super passionate about is the data side. And I pitched to the board early on within that 100 days was we're going to grow our loyalty program. We're going to grow our data so that we can have a more targeted experience, a more personalized experience with our guests. And we've absolutely done that. Like We have a very rich rewards program now. We are mining that data on a regular basis. It's you know I was with my team this morning and the amount of data and knowledge they have about their respective areas is tenfold that of what it was three years ago. So we've been able to progress all of those things it just might be might have been a little slower than I anticipated just because we had this thing called the pandemic that went alongside it. But really proud still of what we've accomplished in those three areas. Yeah. Let's dive in a little deeper to each of those, if you don't mind, because like to your point, I mean, you're, it was trial by fire during the pandemic for most most businesses, especially on the digital front. You mentioned like standing up delivery and curbside offerings. How are you approaching digital now? I hope it's calmed down for you as you think about digital and the digital transformation going forward. Yeah, it hasn't necessarily calmed down from the ex- from the from the guest expectation. I would say that we have seen people start to come back in the restaurants more, which is exciting to see because I think people are craving that connectivity. Um, and they they do stop and they have a, a meal at Noodles. But on the digital side, we continue to invest in some of the core areas that we think do drive our business. During the pandemic, number one was conversion rate optimization. I'm very passionate about. You have to make that experience and that ordering process as seamless and easy as possible. We saw a... Actually, and for people that are geeky like I am when it comes to data and digital, we doubled our conversion rate during the pandemic. It was a significant change of what we did. And keep in mind that it doesn't mean that more people are coming to your site. It literally means that you're optimizing the experience to get people through that ordering funnel. So really proud of what we've done there. And now what we're doing is we're really trying to incorporate the brand and uncommon goodness into that digital experience is how are we going to bring special and unique experiences while keeping in mind that we want to make that ordering process as easy as possible. And then as we venture into 2023, it'll be more about personalization and A-B testing, which we geek out on because we definitely want to make sure that when we do bring, we're growing the number of people that are coming into our web and app experience. And so how do we make sure that they get the exact experience that they want both through A-B testing and personalization? So lots of going, lots going on digitally. On the restaurant side, though, we've started to expand our digital signage in the restaurants. And we're doing a lot of testing around like, how do we just drive check size in the restaurant? Like, what would we need to put on our menus? to do that. And we've gotten some great learnings. And then we're going to continue to keep doing that both from an optimization standpoint around menu layout, 
But then even small things like if you animate this image, does that actually drive the product mix up for that certain product? So a lot more to do there, but it's exciting to have a little bit more flexibility to test the experience digitally too in restaurants. Yeah. Well, and you, you sometimes forget that like the transaction happens either in an app, on a website or at the counter, you know, <laughs> like, or, or, or at the, at the table, whichever way it goes. So yeah, it, it, you kind of forget that like digital can play a part even in a physical environment, especially with things like you're talking about, like digital signage, et cetera. So I love that example. That's a great one. Well, on the data front, I mean, data is a tricky area today with like cookies going away, people driving towards more first party data solutions. Then you've got coupled with that, like privacy and trust and just being good stewards of, of your your customer's data. What are you thinking about as it relates to the data world that you're trying to build? Yeah, we definitely want to make sure that we're careful. And I think when the pandemic first started, we did a little bit more blasting of communications to our loyalty members because we were so desperate. I think most restaurants were pretty oh, desperate. Oh, you had to. You had you know? to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to kind of try to recover from the massive losses early on. But we've, we've grown our rewards program a lot over the last... We're almost to 4.5 million members, which is really good for a, a size of, you know, of our size, like just in terms of our footprint. So we have about four, 4.5 million members, but what we really do with that data is we define our segments, like how we are going to market with the segments that we have. And that's really behavioral based. So how often are they coming? What do they care about when they do come? What's bringing them back over and over? So we mine that data and we bring forward insights that ultimately help drive the go-to-market strategy. And then within that, we have what we call our marketing channel teams, where they're taking that those insights that we have around, if you are somebody that comes to us, I don't know, say once a month, what dish is it that you prefer? And how can we then deliver that in the communications to you? so that it encourages you to come back and grab that dish because we know you liked it or we believe you liked it. The other part of it though, is starting to play around with how are we exposing our guests to other items? So we know you like the mac and cheese. How about you try the penne rosa? And there's a lot of benefits to that. There's a benefit of recognizing, oh, wow, you know me and you recognize the fact that I came and I got the mac and cheese, but the penne rosa is a higher margin product for us. So it's delicious and we want you to try it, but then there's a financial benefit to it too. So we're trying to use the data to not only benefit the guest experience, but also benefit profitability because of the fact that, you know, the costs are so high right now. um, And there's a ton of margin pressures right now. So we start to do some of that too. One last thing I'd say is back to the digital thing is taking that data. We're actually implementing a CDP, a customer data platform right now. And what that will do is allow us to segment more quickly, but then you know integrate the data and use it in all of our various channels so it feels connected and personalized across all of the touch points that you engage with us. So that's a super exciting project right now. It's going to take us a little bit of time to operationalize that, but it's going to be really exciting to have a more holistic view of our guests and how we go to market with them. Yeah. I mean, that's a big component and it, it will take time to implement, I'm sure. But with all the data that you're talking about, I mean, you have to have somewhere to organize it, to synthesize it, to make it easily accessible across the journey that the customer is going through. So it's vital. It's so funny that I guess 
years and years ago, the house file, if you will, in old direct mail <laughs> lingo was vital. Like that's how you made money. And I feel like we flash forward to today, we've kind of come full circle a little bit, even though our data is a lot more rich and a lot more interesting now. <laughs> but that CDP or that data warehouse, if you will, of all of the data is so vital. To being able to power your marketing. I agree. I also think you often hear people say like, well, isn't that kind of creepy? And I think it's just an expectation now. I really do. I think that especially the younger generations want you to, to want you to know enough that it's like, make it, just make it easy for me because there's just this instant gratification that people crave. And so I, I do think it's okay as long as you're respectful and you're using it in a way that makes the life of your guests better. And I, I definitely think that's what we're focused on. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think if you're providing value based on the data that you have, um, that value to the consumer, ease, simplicity, actually discovery with a new dish that they didn't necessarily know that they might like, I mean, creates enjoyment if done right. So yeah, I agree. Well, now you've got a brand refresh, you've got digital initiatives that have bloomed and taken off. You've got this data component and, and all these use cases. And you you mentioned, you know, the employee side and and people. And you can't really do all these things without people. <laughs> so how do you approach the people side of the business um, and those people that you're you're leading today? Alan, this is my favorite topic. And so hopefully we can have like 15 more minutes. I'm kidding you. But what I would say around approaching the people is in 2019, I would have told you I'm a great leader. Like I would have said, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned what people need, what people want, and I'm highly invested. In 2022, I would tell you I'm an average leader. And the reason for that, and I'm working really hard on it, is because it's so different leading now than it was three or four years ago. The expectations are different. The engagement is different. The remote environment is different. And so what I think has held true for me, and it still remains part of my core, is I'm a very balanced leader. Like I love, I will push people. I will drive the business. I will, I have high, very high expectations and all of my people would say that, but they would also tell you that I care deeply about them. Like I genuinely love my team and they are the things that wake me up in the morning and they are the people that wake, you know, that I think about when I go to bed. I'm very balanced. But the one thing that I've struggled with over the last three years is when you, that push and pull that happens when you're a fairly balanced leader. And in, during the COVID timeframes, like I needed to lean more on that compassionate, caring side. And that was uncomfortable for me because I wanted it to be more balanced. And then in some cases, I have to push the growth in the business more when we might not be performing the way that I want to. And so what I'm still trying to play around with is what do my employees need at this time now after COVID, like so many of the articles that you read say you should be leading with compassion first and foremost. But what I think that sometimes does is it removes the accountability that you need in order to drive the business too. So when I say average, I would say I'm working on being great, but I'm still trying to figure out what balance looks like in this quote unquote post pandemic world. No, it seems like, I mean, even during the period of the pandemic. I mean, it, we've gone through so much, like just as a, as a culture, as a community of people, you start off with a pandemic and then you have the conflicts that happen. George Floyd, mass shootings, like literally thing after thing after thing. And it's, I think people are 
coming out of this now with trauma that they didn't realize that they have, you know, like, and, and I think we're still in this great adjustment period to your point. And it doesn't surprise me that, you, you know, you're like this point in time, I think I'm average, but you know what? I think that's awesome. One, because you've already demonstrated you're a growth mindset person <laughs> and you're going to go, you're going to go learn. You're going to be curious and try to try to learn and make yourself better. And those are the type of leaders we need um, because it is a very dynamic environment for all the reasons we've been talking about, but kudos to you. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. The growth mindset is exactly the way I live my life. And I'm, you know, there's some things that are starting to work. Like I just got our engagement survey back and I was like, oh my gosh, something's working. Right. And so it's, it's, it's encouraging to get those little wins, but with somebody that values it more than anything in my job, it's been an interesting three years to try to figure out how to engage when time, like you said, there is trauma. There's more challenges in people's lives, especially young parents too, and moms. And it's just different now. And so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to lead. You're not alone. <laughs> you're not <laughs> I appreciate alone. that. Thank yes, you're, you're definitely not alone. Well, yeah, we could talk about this for days, but I'd love to switch gears. We know you like traveling and many other things, but like my favorite question to ask every first time guest is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yes. I'm going to say there's two. And it goes back to what I said early on around my agility. We moved a lot when I was young and and not not a lot. I, I think it felt like a lot to me as a child, but I moved different states. And I think that's what made me embrace change. Like I had to learn how to be agile and how to engage with different people in a new setting. And so I've never feared starting a new job. I've never feared walking into a new situation. It never challenged me. It doesn't challenge me because my parents gave me that gift. Now, back then I wouldn't say it's a gift, but they gave me a gift of exploring and experiencing change, which I'm so grateful now in my role that I was given that that gift. The second thing I would say is I would call it courage. And they're watching my parents go through some challenging situations when I was young. I can't imagine two more courageous people. And that was, that to me is like, there is, I have just this inner drive and passion around doing the right thing. And I always have, and I always will, but that is 100% there. It's applicable to what I saw them do is that they never stopped fighting for what was right. And that to me inspires me even to this day where, like I said, it can be a strength and it can be a weakness for me, but I definitely have this do the right thing mentality and just have the courage to speak up and fight when you know it's the right thing. So I'm really grateful for that. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I would give myself probably more grace along the way. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a ton of advice I would give myself other than maybe some grace because I feel like you're on this journey for a reason, for sure. And, but the only thing I would say is like, I worked really hard to know who I am as a leader and as like to my core of what matters to me. And, and so along the way, when I'm exploring that, I wish I would have known my, I wish I would have given myself a little bit more grace to learn what type of person I really wanted to be and what type of kind of leader I wanted to be. And I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but just making sure that I give myself grace as those mistakes come to fruition. I love that. I love that. And it's a very, um, it's true with, a lot of very high powered, like 
type A first mm-hmm. yeah. people. You know, we do, we're really tough on ourselves as much as we are trying to drive for results. And yeah, it's easy to see the faults versus the successes some days. I resemble that. And, and that's why I'm saying it out loud. And then we have children that are like that too. So then we're having, <laughs> having to take care of that as well. Yeah, exactly. My wife looks at my daughter and says, that's little Alan. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's not good. <laughs> but yeah, curious if there's a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about today or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? I definitely think marketers need to be learning about CDPs. I would say that most most organizations haven't even considered it. We were with a vendor this week and they had quoted that most or almost all their clients aren't even talking about it for 2023. And I definitely think I'm so glad that we're getting ahead of that because I do think that having one central location that is able to pull in all the behavioral data that you need to be able to be more successful in your marketing campaigns, I think that that is a critical, critical component. I'm super interested in the way influencers are going to evolve. And I don't know what that's going to look like yet because I do think that there's a lot of social movements happening out there because there's so many people that want to be influencers because they they think that that's their path. But I do think there's something special about the micro-influencer movement that's happening and like people wanting to advocate for brands or causes that you can tap into and and help boost their influencer following but yet benefit the brand. And so I'm I'm really interested to see like I don't think it's going to be as much of the Charlie D'Amelio's anymore of just, you know, the dancing in front of the the video camera. I think it's going to be experiences and how people are taking you on their journey and I just think it's going to transform the way brands are presented a little bit, I think. But I'm, yeah, I'm super intrigued by what's going to happen with influencers. Yeah, no, I, I would agree on both of those ideas that, that you're trying to delve more into on the CDP front, like what you were describing earlier around the business levers that you can pull if you do have the data to pull them. Until you get all your data in one place, it's really hard to see the end to end outcome. You might see the front part, you might see the middle part, but being able to tie it end to end doesn't happen until you get all your data in the same place. So that's a hundred percent agree. And influencers are, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, like it's shaping, changing every day. It will be interesting area to watch for sure. Two more questions for you. Curious if there's any brands on or companies or causes, even on a personal level that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? I personally, so I sit on a board of a nonprofit here in Colorado. It's called Community First Foundation. Really, really proud of what we're doing there. It's a foundation that supports you know all the nonprofits in Colorado and really trying to raise money and then distribute that money in a really impactful way. So I'm very passionate about that because of course, not only I sit on the board, but I see all of the good and all of the money that they're putting into our communities here in Colorado that I feel very inspired and fulfilled by. So definitely follow that one. Um, But when it comes to brands, that's a really good question. I think if you talk about it within the restaurant space, I would say there's a lot I, I actually follow. And I'm, I would say that I love and I admire. And I think that that starts... I mentioned Wingstop. I think that their digital transformation is fascinating. I think their marketing org structure, their MarTech org structure, and what the bold moves that they've made there have also been really interesting to me. I, am, I look at Raising Cane's from a brand and loyalty perspective, I, you know, Shake Shack is really interesting to me, especially from a digital, like in restaurant experience. So there's, there's a lot. 
Kava, I think they're up and coming. So I, I think that there's so many interesting things that a lot of those brands are doing, whether it's from a brand campaign perspective or whether it's like from digital transformation. I love watching those. If I think outside of the industry, it kind of honestly depends. You know, I'm a big fan and I've said this before to other people is I, I love Kiwi Crate. If you've ever, if you have a child that, you know, it's a subscription model, but it's very, Target, I love it. It's a fantastic for kids, but it's also just such a great tool for parents to have something to engage with their kids on. So I'm a huge fan of Kiwi Crate. But most brands, if I am intrigued, it's where they really know who I am. You know, I think Athleta does a great job. I think that they probably send too many emails, but they know that I'm a loyal follower of that brand and it's very targeted to me. So I like watching that kind of stuff too, of like the CRM campaigns and the personalization that comes in them. Um, so I definitely follow that just because I like to see how much they learn about me along the way and how much tar- how more targeted the communications get because of what they know about me. No, those are all really great examples. And not in a not too distant future, I'll be interviewing uh, Jay Livingston at Shake Shack. So yeah, you'll get the, it, it, listen to that episode. It'll come somewhat after yours. That's <laughs> so, great. No, that's great. I'll definitely listen. This will be the second time I've interviewed him. He was at uh, BarkBox before that, the subscription pet business. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never have done BarkBox, but I was always intrigued by it. Yeah. 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 So it should be fun, but uh, interesting connection there. Last question for you is what do you feel like is the biggest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think that the biggest threat is the unknown, honestly, like the inflationary pressures, the economic challenges, the political unrest, social unrest. I think it's just, you have to constantly be ready for that change and how you're going to pivot quickly. I think that that's, at least for me, it's it's always like, how are you protecting your brand? How are your employees showing up in a way that's representative, positively representative of your brand? But that keeping in mind that, you know, things are going to happen and how are you going to respond to those things? Or at least like proactively prepare a response to be able to address things when they do happen. But for marketers, I think there's this really interesting tension where you've got the cost pressures and yet you're trying to drive the business and trying to promote the products that drive the business, yet those might be the higher cost products. And so you're just, it's interesting, you know, that I just think that economic and inflationary pressures are very real. And it's hard to be a marketer right now when you want to cater to what the guest wants, but you've got to keep the business and the profitability in mind at the same time. So I think that that's going to continue to be a pretty big pressure in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. And it is really all three of those inflation, just general economic situation, social unrest. I mean, they're existential threats, right? You can only prepare to be flexible, but you don't know necessarily until it happens where it's going. So yeah, back to your agility. Correct. Correct. It's all, it comes all back to that one word. Yes. Yes. Stacey, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending some time with us. I greatly appreciate it. I've really appreciated Alan. Thank you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. 
There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.